some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Sports Talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can find me on Twitter at jmartzone. Our telephone number is 615-737-1045. We're going to do two division previews today as I have to catch up and still get done before I run out of shows, before the NFL season actually starts a week from tomorrow, final preseason game for the Tennessee Titans against the Chicago Bears. That one tomorrow, Titans Radio will have coverage for you right here on 104.5 Zone, which means you won't hear me. And Matt Nagy's made no bones about the fact that ain't nobody playing in this thing. And hopefully that'll be the case as well for Mike Vrabel, who doesn't seem to care very much for the preseason anyway either. And that's going to become a trend. Less and less teams are going to care about this. I don't know what's going to happen to make it change, but maybe something is actually going to come from this. I'm going to have Alan Bell on the program on Friday for three segments, and and we're going to discuss a lot of things. And one thing I can go ahead and tell him if he's listening to the program right now, how to fix the preseason, if there's a way to fix it, and if what we saw in Winnipeg last week, which we saw detailed on Hard Knocks last night, even though – it wasn't act. It wasn't made out to be like it was too bad, and Gruden acted like it wasn't a problem at all. Of course, they came back and won, and he cared like it was the end of the world, like Nate Peterman was about to become not just the backup but the starting quarterback for the Oakland Raiders. That was kind of ridiculous. The other thing from Hard Knocks, and I'll talk about this a little bit more in the final segment, the A-B thing is out of control. If you watched that act last night, on top of what he said about Ben Roethlisberger yesterday, which we discussed on this program 24 hours ago, this guy just wants attention. I don't know if it's perfect and the hit that changed him or if this is what he's always been, but he is entering rarefied air as it relates to a diva personality at the wide receiver position. I'm not sure we've ever seen someone with this many red flags in this short of an amount of time in terms of an offseason. If you just want to talk about from the time he left Pittsburgh to whenever he's actually going to suit up for the Raiders, I'm assuming it will be week one, but at this point I wouldn't put it past him for something else to go wrong. I mean, we're talking, I don't even think T.O. was this bad. I really don't. And the thing about it is because T.O. was so good and because Antonio Brown is so good, you can kind of look past this. But if you watched Hard Knocks, you saw full well. You saw A.B. on display. All A.B. wants to do is be around people that love him. He sat, they filmed him sitting in his hotel room, reading fan mail, 
and just smiling ear to ear because people loved him and going to a high school and dancing with kids and all this kind of stuff because people loved him at that school and that's what he wanted to be around and when he was in Canada taking photos and stuff he was great with the people because they loved him and he said oh it's all love it's all love it's all love except when it relates to actually doing your job Antonio Brown who came out and said Ben Roethlisberger and I were never friends and that was ridiculous and completely unnecessary and was a look-at-me moment. Antonio Brown cares about one thing, and it's Antonio Brown. He may care about his family. I'm not judging that. I'm judging behavior. There's a difference in judging behavior and conduct and judging a person. I don't know what's in Antonio Brown's heart, but I know that the person that we see displayed publicly is a problem, and it's a problem for Mike Mayock and the longevity of his job as well. There is no question that he has married himself to Antonio Brown, and you looked at his talent and thought it was worth the risk, but was it if you're the Raiders? If you weren't an organization that necessarily was rolling with stability and wins, like if Antonio Brown had gone to New England, that would probably be far different. But they didn't want him. They didn't go after him. None of the franchises that are in good standing wanted him. None of them went after him. We're also seeing that uh, Brock Osweiler is going to get a look from the Indianapolis Colts and that the Captain Andrew Luck Twitter account has dropped off the map yet again, which is certainly an unfortunate set of circumstances there. But let's do these division previews, and we're going to do the West today in both the NFC and the AFC. The NFC West, Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals, Niners. I'm doing it with six categories, of course, with the big six. And we begin with the best player in the division. There are arguments that you could make for Bobby Wagner, who only missed one tackle, according to Bill Barnwell last week. Todd Gurley, who is, well, he's Todd Gurley. We know exactly who Todd Gurley is. But I'm obviously going to go with Russell Wilson. He's the highest-paid quarterback in the league, and he is a flat-out winner. He's won a Super Bowl. He has maybe the best deep ball in the NFL. That's something I've said several times. He is somebody that you trust with the game on the line. If you want to go out and win a game, he might not have the flashiest statistics that you've ever seen, but I think that a large part of that is because Seattle doesn't ask him to do what a lot of other teams do with their quarterbacks. But if you asked him to, Russell Wilson would be able to pull it off. He was Kyler Murray before Kyler Murray. He was a great baseball player at NC State as well decided to concentrate on football, which has paid many dividends. We knew how good he was in Raleigh, and we certainly knew how good he was when we saw him in Madison as well. So I would say it is Russell Wilson. You could argue otherwise, and you can. Tweet me at jmartzone. Let me know what you think. But I will go with Russ. The best coach, it's not all that close, although I respect the heck out of Pete Carroll. I think Pete Carroll is a fine football coach. He's a player's coach. He has won a Super Bowl. He has won national championships. He's a fantastic football coach, but the answer is Sean McVay. And why is the answer Sean McVay? Well, the obvious, but the big reason is because franchise is falling all over themselves just to try to find another Sean McVay as if that's out there. Matt LaFleur has a job. Zach Taylor has a job. Cliff Kingsbury has a job. Because all these franchises have seen what the Rams did and they are trying to duplicate the unduplicatable. At least that's my opinion. I don't think any of the guys that were hired are going to be able to do what Sean McVay did. 
Sean McVay is unique in that way. He's got that Saban, that Belichick, that Dabo Swinney, that kind of thing. He is a rare coach that you can't just walk out in the middle of nowhere and find another one of. And I think we're going to find that out in Cincinnati and probably in Arizona and almost assuredly in Green Bay. We'll see Matt LaFleur and Green Bay in the opener a week from tomorrow as the NFL season commences, the 100th NFL season commences. But it's Sean McVay, what he's done with the play action, what he's done to utilize the running backs, and just what he's done for the career of Jared Goff in particular. He's also surrounded himself with solid defensive coaching minds. Wade Phillips, his defense wasn't as good as you would expect last year. Hopefully that would change. The team has changed as well. It's gotten a little bit older with some of the veterans they brought in, Weddle, for example, and not being able to pay a Saffold, letting Indomitian Sue go and things of that nature. But Sean McVay, just the way he reacted to the Super Bowl loss, not passing the buck, trying to understand and explain it. I have a tremendous amount of respect for Sean McVay and the job that he has done. Now, which coach is on the hot seat? I don't think anybody's losing their gig. Shanahan, with what he did last year, sands Jimmy Garoppolo with Mullins and C.J. Beathard. Proved his scheme is absolutely fantastic, and he knows exactly what he is doing even though it is going to come a time where he's going to have to actually show up in the playoffs, but he gets a reprieve because he didn't have a starting quarterback last year. Pete Carroll's not on the hot seat. Sean McVay is as far from the hot seat as you can get. The answer would be Kingsbury, just because the air raid offense has never worked before. He was not a good college football coach, and Arizona has an awful football team for him to try and build around. Like Kyler Murray, even if Kyler Murray is good, they have one of the worst offensive lines we've ever seen. We just saw the end of Andrew Luck's career in Indianapolis, mainly because Ryan Grigson didn't address the offensive line and got him sacked 100 times in his first three years. Kyler Murray is super athletic, and he might be able to evade some pressure, and he keeps his eyes downfield, and you like a lot of the things that you see from him, but he's small. He's not particularly built in terms of being able to take those kind of hits, and their offensive line might actually be worse than what Indianapolis had for Andrew Luck. I mean, this is an all-time putrid offensive line. They were bad last year, but they're going to be even worse this year, it appears. So Kingsbury and that team, I had suggested if they start winning early and that works out, maybe that's okay. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in football, even if Murray is putting up stats. And the O-line's the main thing. And Kingsbury's offense that has proven never to work in the NFL before, I don't think it's going to work now. So Kingsbury would be the answer, but I don't think he would lose his job in one year either. Biggest question mark right alongside is Cliff and Kyler to me. And I could go with one other answer here, but I'm saving that for the sixth category. Kyler, to prove that he made the right decision to pick football, that he can survive in the league against all odds at his height and all of that, and then Kingsbury even more so. Somebody that really shouldn't have this job, if you're asking me honestly for my opinion. He's got to prove that what he wants to do can succeed in the NFL where it never has before, and that what we saw at Texas Tech was not indicative of how good a coach he is. He understands offense. He knows how to put up points in college. I don't think it's going to translate to the NFL, but no question it's that that is going to determine the future of that franchise, at least in the short term. Steve Wilkes had a really short leash. I don't think that Kingsbury is going to have quite as short a leash because 
they actually let him bring in his quarterback and shipped out the guy, Josh Rosen, who they had gone up to get one year ago. But Kingsbury and Kyler is undoubtedly the question that needs to be addressed that we're going to be asking and, and looking into all year. Fifth category, number of playoff teams out of this division. How about one? I think the Seahawks will be in contention for a wild card, but I like two other divisions in the NFC better. Remember, there's only two that can get multiple teams in. Max. And I don't think that it's coming out of the West. If 50% turnover is going to happen, I think the Seahawks might be on the outside looking in, even if they have a winning record. And then, obviously, the third and fourth team, I don't even have it 500. We'll get to the records at the very end here. And then the final category, most to prove. And this is also where you could have gone biggest question mark, but I needed one answer for each one. Most to prove is Garoppolo, and it's not close. Garoppolo, who has never played more than five consecutive games in his career, Garoppolo, who before he got injured last year, did not look very good in Kyle Shanahan's scheme. Didn't look good at all, as a matter of fact. They paid him a ton of money. He's in the top 10 quarterbacks in terms of money made. It looked like it was going to work because we saw the tail end of that season when people didn't really know what to expect. And when they finally let him into the game, he looked like, oh, boy, this could be one of the top five, seven quarterbacks in the league pretty quickly. Hold the brakes. Hadn't looked great in the preseason. It certainly hadn't stood out, but we're not going to look at the preseason as some kind of major indicator of what we're going to see from him in the regular season. But he's got to prove something here because Bethard Mullins, Mullins in particular, had pretty much the same stats as Garoppolo did. It wasn't like a gigantic drop-off from them. Garoppolo's got to prove he was worth that money. Right now, it doesn't feel like he is worth that money. So you talk about pressure being on somebody's shoulders at that position where you know that Kyle Shanahan's scheme can work because we've seen it work to put up points and keep the 49ers in games even with some of the injuries they dealt with last year and two backup quarterbacks no one had ever heard of that wasn't paying real close attention to college football. He's got a ton to prove. Jimmy G might be one of the biggest question marks in the NFL, not just in the NFC West. Now, record in the division. I've got the Rams winning the division at 11-5. and five. I think they will not duplicate their record from a season ago, but 11-5 and five is going to be good enough to get them into the playoffs again. I got the Seahawks at 9-7, and seven, but I've got them on the outside looking in. 50% turnover, then I've got to pick somebody that I like, and I do like Seattle, but their defense is a little suspect. They still don't have a ton of weapons at receiver. I want to see what happens with DK Metcalf and whether or not they can run the ball as effectively as they did a season ago. I think that they're going to be in it till the end. They're going to be one of those teams that's right there with an opportunity to play their way in. And if you're in that case, Russell Wilson can win you a game, no question. But I'm going to say they're on the outside looking in at the end. Niners 7-9. and nine. I don't think this Garoppolo thing is going to work. Not in terms of getting to double-figure wins and looking the part from a couple years ago. I think him coming back from the injury, it might take some time. And on top of that, I'm just... Not sure that we aren't going to see someone exposed as average that we thought might have been better. And then finally, the Cardinals, one of the worst teams in football. I have them written down at 4-12, and 12, but I'm going to change that. They're going to be 3-13. and 13. They're going to be terrible. Kingsbury's offense is not going to work. Their offensive line is as bad as you ever want to see. And Kyler Murray is going to take a lot of lumps as a result of that. 
It's going to be sad for Fitzgerald because he's going to be there trying to make plays. It's going to be sad for David Johnson. It's going to be sad for Kyler Murray and for Arizona fans, but they're going to be absolutely dreadful. So there you go. Rams will be the one playoff team coming out of the NFC West. When we come back, the flip side, the AFC West. We'll answer the same questions, and we'll give you the records. It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. So. back to the big six here on 104.5 the zone glad to have you with us i am jason martin on twitter at jmart zone let's be on measure all reasonable and otherwise hope you recognize that you are as well hope this finds you and yours doing well tonight we're brought to you by renters warehouse dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate renting your home without having to do the hard stuff renters warehouse the rent estate company so we do the nfc west in that past segment, I have the Rams as the only team coming out of that division because I like two other divisions a little bit better top to bottom and certainly at the top with the one and twos. Seahawks, I have over 500 and just somehow getting edged out. But I could easily be wrong there because Seattle, even with a bit of a suspect defense, they've still got a lot of pieces that you like, particularly their quarterback and their head coach. Now we look at the AFC West. We've already done one division. We've already done the East in both. If you missed that, you can subscribe to the Big Six with Jason Martin podcast through your podcast catcher of choice. You can catch up on that. And we will do the remaining four divisions next week. I'll have Alan Bell with me on Friday and then we'll have Murphy Fair. So we won't do a division preview Friday, but we will do whatever we got to do on Wednesday. We might do all four of them as a matter of fact, because Thursday night football will be in effect Thursday evening. But AFC West, it's my division because I'm a Denver Broncos fan. But that doesn't mean anything when it comes to actually predicting this thing. The best player in the division is Category 1. I don't think that this requires all that much debate. You can make the Phillip Rivers argument if you would like. I really love Phillip Rivers. It's not Phillip Rivers. Antonio Brown, way too many question marks. Talked about it in the first segment, and I also want to get to it again before we get to the end of the show. It's Pat Mahomes. I mean, he's on the front of Madden, but it's not because of that. It's just because the wizardry and the sorcery and the Hogwarts-like throws and plays that he makes from the quarterback spot are undeniably impressive. He's with a perfect system, Reed and Biennemi and all the weapons around him. He is in a spot to succeed for a very long time. He can throw it a mile. He's accurate from just about anywhere. He can throw across his body right. He can throw across his body left. He seems like he can throw it behind his back as if he's on the fast break on the basketball court. Mahomes has got absolutely every skill, tangible and I think intangible as well, because it doesn't ever look like he is out of control or anxious. He just looks like he's ready for the moment. That's what irritated me so much about them not getting a chance in overtime against the Patriots because you saw him on the sidelines just watching that defense fold and let Brady and the Patriots make it to the Super Bowl. And Mahomes is just on the sidelines like, yep, I sure wish I would have had an opportunity because if I had, this thing would be a wrap right now. So it's Patrick Mahomes. Now the best coach. Stay with the stay with the uh, Chiefs. It's Andy Reid. I think Anthony Lynn is good at what he does. I'm really curious to see how Vic Fangio is going to do. You saw multiple teams, coaches and GMs, asked about defenses in the NFL and who was the hardest to prepare for. 
and a lot of them, maybe all of them, everyone that I saw said Vic Fangio. And that's not good news if you're a Chicago Bears fan because I am looking at them as one of the teams that are going to step back this year. Fangio is a big reason why. His defense is unpredictable. It's hard to scheme against. It's just difficult. So I like Vic Fangio, but it's first year, and they're going to be growing pains, and they have personnel problems. And it's not Gruden. We're watching hard knocks, and it's not because Gruden's not doing a good job or anything. There's just too much volatility there for him to succeed. It's Andy Reid, and it's not close. Now, Andy Reid has some things to prove in terms of getting to a Super Bowl again and being able to finally take down Bill Belichick. But he's got everything around him that you could want. He's one of the 10 best, maybe even five to seven best play callers ever in the NFL. He takes a knock because of clock management and things like that, which deservedly so. But in terms of his offensive mind, it's very difficult to find anybody that's better. And he consistently has his team where they need to be in close games late if they have to be. And now with Mahomes, it's like he's been given the keys to the car that he always dreamed of having. So it's Andy Reid. Who's on the hot seat? This is another one where I don't really have an answer because I don't think any of these four are going to lose their jobs. It's not going to be Gruden. He's got the 10-year deal. Fangio in his first season, maybe, but I can't imagine you would bring in someone that's been around that much in terms of the league, a veteran guy who hasn't necessarily had the head coaching experience, but you're not going to bring him in for one year, not with what you have around him. You've got to give him a little bit more time than that. And certainly, Anthony Lynn is doing a good job with the Chargers. But I guess you'd have to go with Fangio just because he's a first-year head coach, and you sometimes never know. But I don't think there's an answer here. I think that the Raiders will be a little better than they were last year, at least on the field. I don't know about their record. Anthony Lynn, like I said, not in any danger. Reed's certainly not going anywhere. So I guess process of elimination, it's Fangio. But nobody in this division, I think, is getting pink slipped this year. Biggest question mark. I think there are a number of question marks across the division. And I don't know that it's easy to pick one. Are the Chargers finally going to get to the Super Bowl? Is Rivers finally going to get to a Super Bowl? Or are they going to flame out yet again? What about year two of John Gruden in Oakland? We're watching hard knocks. The A-B thing is a major problem. I don't know how good that football team is. Hard knocks makes it look like they might be better than they are. I don't think that they're going to be particularly good this year. But that will certainly be a storyline to follow. And then for Denver, do they have a quarterback? Is Flacco going to have some kind of a resurgence after two pretty bad years in a row in Baltimore that got him replaced by Lamar Jackson? And then, of course, there's Drew Locke and what Fangio has said about him. That's a project at best. So I think that there are concerns all over the division. You could also say, is Andy Reid going to get back to a Super Bowl? Can the Chiefs actually get there this time if they have home field advantage? Can they actually beat New England when it comes down to it in a championship game? But I guess I would say... The biggest question mark for me is whether the Chargers can actually take that next step. Phillip Rivers may be the best year of his career a season ago, and I don't think that it even registers anymore. He was an MVP candidate in like week 12 last year. It was like Breeze and Mahomes and Phillip Rivers were like three of the guys. But we don't even think about it anymore because of what they did not do in the postseason. So I think maybe just the Chargers being able to do something in the playoffs would be 
the biggest question mark. I don't think they're probably going to because they've got a better team in their own division. Number of playoff teams coming out of the AFC West, here is where you get the number two. I don't think that the Chargers will miss the playoffs, and I certainly don't think Kansas City is going to miss the playoffs. You can only have two divisions to have multiple teams. This is one of them. The AFC West is one of the better divisions in the league. Even with a suspect Broncos team and a suspect Raiders team, they can actually at least cause some damage and some havoc elsewhere. It's a good division, especially up top, because the Chiefs and the Chargers are are both very good franchises at this stage. And then the final question, the most to prove. If he comes back to play, the answer here is Melvin Gordon because he's bet on himself and he's foolishly turned down an offer that he should have taken. And I don't know if he's going to play, and maybe that is the question, but for me, it is more... If he plays, what's he going to be? And at this point, most to prove, he's going to have to prove a lot of people wrong. He's going to have to prove the Chargers organization wrong and a lot of the media who thinks it's insane to pay a running back at this stage. I'm one of them. And we're going to talk about in the final segment comments Zeke Elliott made earlier this week that have me flummoxed, to say the least. But the most to prove to me is Melvin Gordon, and I don't think that it's that difficult. Now for the records. Two 6-10 and 10 football teams. One of them could actually go 5-11, and 11, but I've got the Raiders and the Broncos both at 6-10. and 10. I don't think they're going to be like Arizona Cardinals bad, for instance, or Miami Dolphins bad. But six wins, not great years. You'll see some flashes on both sides, but that'll be about it. Chargers 10-6. and six. I think that they are going to make the playoffs again. I don't think that they're going to have a ton of hype going into the postseason, maybe the way that they did last year, but 10-6 is still pretty impressive. And then the Chiefs will be 12-4. and four. A very good team yet again. Mahomes not taking any kind of drop-off because the thing about Pat Mahomes is nothing I saw him do last year is something I don't think he can do again. They add McCole Hardman. That makes them even more athletic as if they needed it. They can run the ball. They've got Hill. They've got Kelsey. They've got Mahomes. They've got a solid offensive line probably the best right tackle in football in Mitchell Schwartz. Defensively, they should be a little better at least. They're going to have to be a lot better if they actually want to beat New England when it counts. But I think they could represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I haven't gotten to the predictions. We'll do those next week. But I've got the Chiefs and the Chargers both making the playoffs out of the AFC West and two six-win teams outside of that. I'd love to be wrong, certainly, about my Denver Broncos. And maybe the Raiders can surprise some people. But I'm not getting fooled by what I'm seeing on hard knocks. And I think that this A-B signing may actually destroy this football team before the end of the year. Because can you imagine if it goes poorly, how badly it's going to go in the press and on social media based on what we are seeing right now from this guy? It is not good, to say the least. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. back big six here on 104.5 the zone glad to have you with us i'm jason martin hope your wednesday is going well tomorrow titans radio will be on with the final tennessee titans preseason game finally this thing is going to be over and play against the bears hopefully nobody's going to get hurt even the reserves don't expect to see many of the starters here but hey there's still some roster spots and one thing we've noticed about hard knocks that i think hurts the show is that now that you only get just that one cut 
you're not getting guys being asked to bring in their playbooks week after week on the show. When you go from 90 to 53, then you're all of a sudden going to get it all at one time. And I don't know if we're even going to see it, but I guess we are. And they have built up some stories that have given you more time to sort of see, okay, is this guy going to make it? Is the tight end from Canada actually going to stick with the team? Is Keenan Doss going to make the team? And they've built it around some of these guys. But we aren't getting to see any cuts. We used to see it week after week, cut after cut. And that was part of the drama of Hard Knocks. I actually think this season's been very good. The first episode was not. Since then, it was. Last night was kind of eh. But I do think it exposed Antonio Brown for just what an attention-seeking glory hound he appears to be. And I say appears because it may not be how he actually is. I'm trying my best here. I'm looking at the behavior, not the guy. But the behavior is worrisome especially when you got Conor McGregor seemingly going in the opposite direction. My comparison about Antonio Brown, now Antonio Brown does seem to be on the wrong path, and maybe Conor is looking towards a little bit of redemption. I did not predict that. I can tell you that. Another thing I did not predict is this DeMarcus Cousins story, and it's not good. And I don't really know what to say about it because it's very similar to Tyreek Hill, except that the threat is a lot more direct. It is certainly more serious. And then there's the other issue, which is, and this is the big one, and it's unfortunate that this is the way it is, but this is the way that it is. Tyreek Hill is an indispensable player as it relates to his position and how good he is. When we did the list of six best wide receivers in the league on this program last week, Tyreek Hill was on that list. I think he was actually number four, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, his speed, he's one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player the NFL has ever seen. He's uncoverable if he actually gets the football. The only thing that holds him back is his hands aren't stellar compared to some of the better wide receivers in the league. But, I mean, what he does for that Chiefs offense is huge. So there's always the case of, well, if he's that good, then what can we put up with? Look at Antonio Brown. If Antonio Brown was half the player that he is, nobody paying any attention to what he's doing anyway but he wouldn't have gotten any money. He wouldn't have forced his way out of this team. He wouldn't have had a market, and he certainly wouldn't be able to actually make things work positively in his direction. DeMarcus Cousins, on the other hand, if this were five years ago, we could still be making a similar argument, but we can't because DeMarcus Cousins is by no means indispensable to anybody. And this is before he tore his ACL with the Lakers at camp a couple of weeks back. That led to, of all people, Dwight Howard, also not indispensable to the extent that the Lakers came right out and said, look, if you are a problem in our locker room, you are gone. The money is non-guaranteed. That's how far Dwight Howard has fallen. Six teams in three years. Nobody wants him to play for him. Two of them waved him before he ever got on the court. And this is a guy that can still give you a double-double. DeMarcus Cousins, we saw, what, two good games out of in the playoffs? Or certainly in the finals? And he fought hard to get back. And he was trying. I don't think there's much left. I think that his legs are shot. He can barely move. And this ACL tear on top of the quad tear, on top of the Achilles, I just don't know how you come back from that, especially at his size. And his conditioning has always been kind of, eh, not off the charts. So he's not indispensable. His talent then cannot bail him out of the trouble that it could, for example, Tyreek Hill. And the Tyreek Hill story, and this is the other thing about the Hill story, I certainly jumped to judgment on that thing in terms of that particular story. 
and I still don't know the truth there, but the investigation not happening and no charges being filed against Tyreek Hill means he's got to play. And I totally understand that and agree with that decision. There's no other choice. This DeMarcus Cousins thing, I don't want to fall into the same trap of thinking I know exactly what's here, but if you go to the TMZ report, Christy West says that Cousins said, and there's audio here, that he would put a bullet in her bleeping head after they were arguing about whether or not their seven-year-old son could go to DeMarcus Cousins' wedding. Of course, to another woman. He got married in Atlanta. His son was not there. And so Cousins wanted him to be there, and there's an argument. And so TMZ has put this thing out. And DeMarcus Cousins hasn't said anything. And we don't know. I mean, it hasn't been authenticated to be DeMarcus Cousins. But if it's DeMarcus Cousins, isn't it possible this is the last we ever see of DeMarcus Cousins in the NBA? I mean, there's a possibility there are charges here because this is a threat. Matter of fact, it's a very escalated threat at that. I know that you've probably made threats that were just kind of flippant that you didn't mean, and maybe DeMarcus Cousins didn't mean this either. But the problem for DeMarcus Cousins is he's not good enough to escape this. Not anymore. If this was him coming out of Kentucky, unfortunately, we might have a different argument. We shouldn't. If this thing is legit, it shouldn't matter how good you are, but it does. Some people can get away with things other people cannot. I don't know yet whether this is true. If it is proven to be DeMarcus Cousins, if this audio is indeed authenticated that this man speaking is DeMarcus Cousins, that's probably it for him. I can't imagine that he comes back from this. Even if he comes back from the injury, at this point, I don't know what team takes a risk on DeMarcus Cousins when the reward is just not that great in any respect. Not on the floor, certainly not off the floor. This is catastrophic to the career of DeMarcus Cousins. And it's different from Tyreek Hill only because of the talent level of Tyreek Hill. And that as bad as the Tyreek Hill audio that we originally heard was, even that, even if that had been proven to be Tyreek Hill, that was not as bad as saying that you're going to put a bullet in somebody's bleeping head during an argument and then them having audio. It's just like, look, when you have video and you see an assault, it's a whole lot worse than it would be otherwise. Here, when you have audio that is this damning and this specific in such a negative way, it is tough to look at this any other direction than, yeah, I hope this is not DeMarcus Cousins because this could be the end of DeMarcus Cousins' NBA career. He could fight to come back, and what team is going to be able to take a chance on him if this audio is in? And that's even if there are not, like, major charges filed and legal troubles that he has to go through. I'm not a lawyer, so I can't get too much into the nuance of that without reading some articles from some trained professionals on the subject. But, again, we have to stress we don't know just yet if it's true. It sounds terrible, and it sounds like it probably is true. But the Tyreek Hill thing seemed like it was a slam dunk, and then we find out, okay, some of this was doctored or left out, and there is blood on the hands, proverbially speaking, figuratively speaking. There's blood on the hands of both parties here. Seemed like something wrong with the female here as well as with Tyreek Hill. Just a bad situation. You feel bad for that child. 
here I certainly feel bad for the child as well, being caught up in a divorce or an ugly situation. But on top of that, this is a direct threat to shoot a woman during this argument. And I know we exaggerate sometimes, but you got to be real careful what you say. Remember I said this last week. We are responsible for everything that comes out of our mouths these days because somebody is recording. That was exactly what I said last week. Hopefully you don't have anything that you are saying that you wouldn't want to be recorded. But you almost have to assume the worst. DeMarcus Cousins, if this is him, did not. And it might be the end of his career. We'll be right back. I've got thoughts on Zeke Elliott saying something absurd to finish up. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back. Final segment of the program here tonight. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Reminder, tomorrow, final preseason game, and then we actually get to business a week from Sunday. Well, Titans Radio will have everything from Chicago, Titans, Bears. We'll see what happens. I want to talk about Ezekiel Elliott just for a second because of this quote that made the rounds a few days ago. You can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at jmartzone. I'm Jason Martin. Glad to have you with us. Zeke said, he's talking about his money. He said he wants to be a cowboy for the rest of his life, which, you know, that's an understandable thing to say. It's a smart thing to say as well. But then he said something curious, and I don't know if it's because he's delusional or because it's wishful thinking or because he's just trying to get paid and this is, a, this is the thing that you say, but this is mind-numbingly untrue. He said that the Todd Gurley contract, the four-year $57.5 million extension, I believe it was, with the Rams, that that proves that the market for running backs is actually growing that it's going up, that the value of that position is going up, and so he wants to be paid commensurate to that. And we all know, and by we, I mean everybody listening to this right now, and me, and everybody in this building, and everyone that breathes, that knows anything at all about football and analytics and the trend of what the NFL is, this is a quarterback's league. Running back is not one of the positions that you should pay. And here's the thing. Yeah, that Todd Gurley contract was real impressive. It was also a contract that I bet you the Rams wish they hadn't made, and not just because of the arthritis, not just because of all of those things and the problems, but just because they committed a lot of money to a position that does not pay dividends for very long. 2.38 years, I believe it is, the average career for a running back. So Zeke looks at the highest contract, and he says, okay, that's it. It's not a quarterback market. It's not exactly the same way, whereas the next guy in line gets paid more, even if he's not quite as good. That doesn't mean that Dak was going to get more than Russell Wilson, for example, nor do I think he was asking for that. But you remember when Derek Carr got his contract, for instance, he's in the top 10 paid quarterbacks, and that's just because his contract has come up. That's not that way with running backs. The Ty Gurley contract was an aberration. We all know this at this stage. So Zeke looking at that contract and saying that proves that a running back's value is going up. Either that's just pure wishful thinking. Either he has deluded himself into believing that, or he's just trying to will that into existence. Because there is absolutely nothing to back it up whatsoever. Look at Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell sat out for a year, wanted to get paid, wanted to get all this money, and he ended up losing out on that deal. 
he did not get to Todd Gurley levels. Now, Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, Zeke Elliott, and I guess Saquon Barkley at some point are kind of the list of running backs that might be worth it. But look at Melvin Gordon. The Houston Texans lose to Lamar Miller over the weekend to a torn ACL. And some people ask, well, should the Texans go after Melvin Gordon? I immediately thought that. And the answer resoundingly was no, not at all. Because that's not a team where one piece is going to win them a championship. They're not a running back away because they had a decent enough running back in Lamar Miller. I'm not saying he was like a stud of all studs, but he wasn't too old and he had been productive. We saw what he did against the Titans last year. So it's not as if they needed Melvin Gordon, but no one else does either. I refer back to that sporting news article where basically they came down to two teams that might make sense. The Texans, who I just told you, they didn't seem to have any interest weeks ago. And even after the injury to Lamar Miller, that does not appear to have changed. And the other one was Tampa Bay, who only had like $3 million under the cap and probably couldn't make it work without moving half their roster out of there. They've got Ronald Jones, and they've got Peyton Barber, not particularly impressive in that backfield, but they don't have the capital to do it. Melvin Gordon's in a spot where that $10 million that he was offered, I can't believe. I want to know who it was that gave Melvin Gordon the advice that he should continue to hold out for more than that. Because whoever that person is probably should not be employed by Melvin Gordon anymore. Because that was a horrible piece of advice that cost Melvin Gordon money. I would be stunned if he actually got that offer again. Maybe the Chargers would still offer that. But the problem for Melvin Gordon is if the Chargers start out and Eckler and his backup actually run the ball effectively and they continue to win games, Melvin Gordon's value tanks in Los Angeles for that franchise. Then it matters even less paying Melvin Gordon and that market doesn't exist elsewhere. So he has bet on himself, but it's like he put all of his money on one number on a roulette wheel. And it was not particularly the smartest decision that he could have made in that scenario. But what Zeke said is just, I'm trying to figure out where his brain is. And if there's logic behind this, or if there's method behind this madness, or if this is exactly what we think it is, which is just... I'm trying to make an argument and exclude all of the things that I know. I don't think Zeke is a dumb guy. I don't think any of these guys are. I don't think Melvin Gordon is either. I think Melvin Gordon got terrible advice by somebody that should be fired. Usually don't want to call for people's jobs because you don't know the full situation. And maybe, look, this is the other thing. And this can happen. The agent has to represent their client, right? Drew Rosenhaus probably doesn't believe half of what he's had to say about Antonio Brown, but that's what he's had to say about Antonio Brown because Antonio Brown is paying him because they're client, because it's a client and a big-time client at that. So maybe the agent told Melvin Gordon, you should take this deal, and Melvin Gordon believed his value to be something that it was not. I don't think Zeke has bad advisors. I think that deal is going to get worked out. I think he probably does probably end up a cowboy for the rest of his career. This impasse, the one benefit that it has had is Zeke hasn't had to be at camp. He hasn't had to be in all these things that might have gotten him hurt. He's still training. He still knows what he's doing. It's not as if he needed a lot. It's not a new system, which is why I think the Antonio Brown deal with the Raiders is so much more problematic in that we just have an issue 
as it relates to chemistry between him and Derek Carr. He can talk about how great Derek Carr is and how he can't wait to work with him, but he's not working with him. I mean, we saw hard knocks last night, and what did we see? We saw Antonio Brown in full ego mode. He went to high school, and he signed all this stuff, and he was smiling, and he was checking his fan mail. That's what Antonio Brown wants. Antonio Brown wants to be around people that love him. I think we all do, but that's not the way life works. Sometimes you actually have to do some work around situations that aren't catered to your arrogance or your pride or whatever. Like, we didn't see Antonio Brown do anything team-oriented at all. He didn't play any football. He went to Winnipeg and joked around with Gruden and the teammates on the sideline during that Nate Peterman comeback. But what did we see? We saw A.B. caring about A.B., which is the same thing that leads someone to say what was said about Ben Roethlisberger yesterday. Not exactly a sympathetic figure, meaning Ben Roethlisberger, but the A.B. thing's not going to go well. This was a mistake by Mike Mayock, and it may end up being the thing that undoes him. I don't think Mayock's going to be there very long. I think he'll be back on TV within a couple of years. I think he and the XFL will probably last about the same length of time. All right, so Titans-Bears tomorrow means no me. Friday, I'm going to have Alan Bell with me for the entire show. So I'll see you then. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night. Knock on wood if you're with me.